Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome to episode 36 of the Empower Humans podcast. We'll get to our great interview with Ray Luzier of Corn in a second. A quick intro. I first just want to let you know that this podcast is all about empowering you. Yes, you. With information and principles to succeed. For any joining us for the first time, I always tell our audience two things up front. You are priceless and you are never alone. You are worth more than whatever you may have thought was holding you back. And definitely worth more than all the money and stuff in this world. We and so many others are here and care. Don't forget that, my friends. This episode is our interview with the incomparable Ray Luzier, drummer for Corn, and Jonathan Davis, as well as KXM. He's played with all kinds of notable artists in the music biz, including David Lee Roth and the guys from Stone Temple Pilots. Ray was coming to us by phone from a gig in Nebraska, also a land with a lot of corn, I might add. So it was a fitting time to do our interview from the land of the corn huskers. We covered so much in this one hour plus interview from what it's like on those big stages to principles of success and balance, all while enduring tough times, as well as life on the farm as a kid and the drastic wake-up call of coming to Hollywood and Los Angeles after 18 years on the farm. There are a couple things we weren't able to cover, like how he was asked to learn around five songs when auditioning for Corn, but instead learned, from what I hear, at least 30. Just incredible, incredible work ethic. Now, whether or not you're a musician, this interview is fascinating, getting into the head of a rock star, because all of us listen to music, and this is a guy who put in hundreds of thousands of hours of blood, sweat, and tears, literally, to get to where he is. His story is inspirational, and he's just an all-around cool, cool guy. Last thing I'll say is someone needs to help him not break so many sticks since he plays so hard. He gets into that a little bit in this interview. The trees will thank us. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash empowerhumans and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. You get a free audiobook. Free! It's that easy. I've committed to go through at least a book a week personally, and so far so good. Empowerhumans.com slash books lays out over a hundred books that I've read and listened to from goals and self-betterment to bios about Jimi Hendrix, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, uh, maybe one about Ray Luzier one of these days. I'll help him write it. Go to audibletrial.com slash empowerhumans. That's audibletrial.com slash empowerhumans all together and get yours. Now enjoy our interview with the incredible Ray Luzier. Hello. Ray, how's it going, man? What's happening? How we doing and uh, where are we at today? Nebraska. Nebraska, one and only land of the corn huskers, huh? Corn huskers, that's it. <laughs> Good, good. We wanted to get with you today just to kind of go through some things and tell your story, maybe inspire some people too. Anyone who's Ray Luzier is drummer for the infamous, what are we, new metal rock band, Corn. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, that, that name kind of went away a while ago, but someone said, you know, when they first came out, Corn, like, kind of, when Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden, Alice and James, and, you know, uh, Pearl Jam, all those bands were coming out. Corn just kind of carved through all that. And so they said, well, what do we call this? And someone said new metal, and that became that thing, you know. Okay. Um, but these days, I just call it corn. It sounds like corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. It's it's corn. Corn with a K and, yep. a, and a backwards O. Backwards O. 
<laughs> That's right. I heard you say that in a video. And for those who don't know, there is actually a backwards R, so it's a joke. But some some of our listeners may not be necessarily into that style of music yet, but uh, after this call they will be. But we're going to go over all kinds of stuff uh, for as much time as you're going to give me. But uh, now how we... You got, you got three minutes. Go. Go, go. How are we doing on the road? I mean, did you just get into town? We just got into Lincoln, Nebraska tonight. We're doing, uh, we're, this is show eight of the Jonathan Davis solo tour. And we are called The Ministry. It's Jonathan Davis and The Ministry. So that's our our title in this band. And uh, we're having a great time. I played on his solo record called The Black Labyrinth probably, I don't know, 10, 12, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been in corn now for 12 years. And he asked me to do a solo record. And I said, of course. And Corn uh, at the time had a really nice studio yeah. on Hollywood and Western in Hollywood. And uh, for being such a heavy band, I was really impressed on the solo music because it had Shankar, who played for you know, violinist for uh, Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, countless others. Mm-hmm. And uh, Miles Mosley played upright bass. And it was all this different worldly kind of sounding music. It wasn't heavy at all. It was really... And he, it made me come up with really cool beats. He goes, I don't want anything, you know, two and four on the snare. I want really, you know, you, I want you to be as creative as you possibly can. And it really, he really let me explore. You know, yeah, so I'm yeah. quite proud of the drum parts on that record. And now I get to play them live. You know, we have a different band, um, obviously, than Korn. Chris Nix is on guitar, Brian Ella on bass. Uh-huh. And uh, we have a really good time. We're going small clubs to giant festivals i mean everything so it's fun yeah yeah give you some variety too that's awesome you get to let your wings soar so to speak with your creativity too and i as as i look at what you've done over the years i kind of want to get into your head a little bit too i think i could speak for our audience especially big fans of yours or of corn or jonathan davis who for those who don't know is also the singer for corn so this is we're talking about solo tour there but now describe what it's like when you get out on stage. For those of us who may have dreamt of being rock stars, I've been on stage, but not quite the stage as an audience as perhaps that you have. What is it like getting out there, vibing with a band, feeding off an audience? I always joke with people. I say I'm, I, I'm just a hardworking, successful musician that hangs out with rock stars. Because, <laughs> you know, I never, I still don't have that mentality. You know, I, I play stadiums to <clears throat> bar mitzvah still and uh, you know uh, these days i'm playing more bigger places which i'm very thankful and grateful for but you never i'm still quite humble you know the business still i work really hard to get where i'm at and it's uh you never know there's no crystal ball you know mine's in the shop at least anyway so um <laughs> you never know what's around the bend for the business if you'd have told me 15 years ago i'd be in corn for 12 years <clears throat> i would have laughed in your face <laughs> It just seemed very not possible. So, um, uh, so for what it's like on the big stage, it's everything you dream about when you're a kid. You know, um, I played with David Lee Roth for eight years uh, before this. You know, in a band called Army of Anyone, and <clears throat> there wasn't one David Lee Roth gig where I didn't look out and go, "Wow, that's Diamond Dave right in front of me." Yeah, because like, <laughs> it's because I'm still that I'm still a fan and from a farm in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. You know, uh, and, and I never really. People always say, like, man, you're 48 and you still have that fire like you were a kid. And I'm like, I do. Cause it's, it's true. I still have that same passion and and uh, I give it all I got, whether it's a, a disco gig where I'm putting a wig on yeah. or I'm, I'm playing a stadium with corn. It's like you have to bring it every single time. And 
I'm, I'm fully, I fully believe in that whole manifestation thing. If you think hard enough about it and you believe in it enough and you really live it, it will come true. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that because yeah, uh, I'm living proof. You know, it, it's really hard in this business. You can be a virtuoso guitar player, singer, bass player, drummer, and you may never get a big gig. Mm. And that's just, and that's okay. You know, some people just go on to be, you know, leaders of the community playing a cover band on the weekends. They have a quote, real jobby job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I kind of had it in my head that whether I was rich, poor, rock star, unfamous band, I'm going to do this till I die. That's a pretty big oath to pledge. Yeah. When you're, you know, in your early teens, you know. <clears throat> so it's, uh, it's hard to answer that question because I, it's, I, yes, I, I mean, tonight we're playing a club in front of 700 people uh-huh. uh, sold, sold out in Lincoln, and I'm going to play it, just give it all I got, just as much as if we were playing the stadium in Australia. It's, it's just, you know, um, I'm just passionate about whatever I do, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's, I, think, I think that lives on. But to answer your question, yeah, it absolutely feels amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. I, I love what you say about uh, th- principles that apply in or out of music, passion, believing in manifestation, and being grateful too. Because our audience is kind of a, we, this is a podcast called Empower Humans. So we do principle, we do interviews with guys like you. I interview authors of books. So we kind of cover a range of things. But the principles, these gratitude, this passion, these, you, you made a commitment to yourself also. These, these things are kind of common threads throughout that all. And you talk about this 700 people. What's, what's the biggest crowd you've played for, would you say, Ray? Um, well, I've played a lot of TV shows, so obviously there's millions viewing that. Um, yeah. Um, I've done it with David Lee Roth, The Army of Anyone, my last band, uh, with Stone Temple Pilot Guys, two corners. Yeah. So those are always the biggest widest audiences because you never know who's watching it. Usually it's millions. So um, the David Lee Roth gig live with the Boston Pops Orchestra in, wow, what was it, 03? Mm-hmm. I think it was 03. It's on YouTube. Uh, we did two songs with Keith Lockhart, um, the leader of the Boston Pops Orchestra, and that was over 500,000 in attendance. Wow. So that was wow. over a half a million watching. And then who knows how many at home. So that was definitely the biggest, uh, and it's, and it's one of those things where David Lee Roth turns to me right before we hit live and there's no fixes. There's no, I mean, it's live. There's no, <laughs> you know, no. Going, there's no 15 second delay or any of that stuff you always hear about. Uh, he turns to me and goes, I'm not the boss tonight kid. Keith is. So watch him. So now I'm like in dead center between <laughs> Keith Lockhart and David Lee Roth. On live television, playing you know yeah. half a million people. So needless, needless to say, I was a little bit butterfly in, uh, in the stomach. But uh, but it, you know it doesn't matter, man. Whether I love you know if, if I'm playing, if you, I love the more intimate places. Sometimes we just did a House of Blues in Vegas the other day with Jonathan. And yeah. the intimacy there with everyone just right in your face, and nothing escapes. The sound is right there. The the vibe. You can feel everyone's presence. You can. You know, nothing gets by you. Sometimes it, it gets lost in translation over a big arena or a, a stadium because it takes so long for the sound to get there, and sometimes it's not ultra clear. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. sometimes I prefer smaller venues. You know. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a that's quite a gamut of uh, audience size. When you talk about TV audiences, I can only imagine. I mean, I've been to some, some show tapings, 
and it doesn't feel like you've got millions of people when you had a show taping, <laughs> but right. but you know that the camera's there and they're going to be broadcasting this through the satellites and everything else. So there's going to be a big audience. So uh, totally. And I just did the Seth Meyers show uh, late night with Seth Meyers recently. Oh, well, well, I guess it was at the end of last year. Well, time flies. Um, but my whole like ultimate goal to retire was always to retire on a late night show. So I had a blast <laughs> doing that because you don't know how many people are watching at home and they're showing the band to and from commercials and the drummer has a lot of responsibility because you have to take cues and all that and i had a blast doing that and and the same thing and like oh man how many people are watching this you know yeah yeah and and when you're playing with corn are there any sort of like pre-show rituals i see these big bands have been around for a while that's they'll do different things maybe there's a chant or some sort of huddle or something like that do you guys do anything like that before you go on stage we uh, moan a lot because our bones hurt now. Uh, <laughs> You're 25. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I, I have the mind of a 22-year-old, I'll tell you that. The experience of a 90-year-old. But, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, your bodies are your bodies, and we're all 47 to 49 years old. And, wow. Corn um, is a very aggressive band. Uh, there's no love ballads. There's no, I mean, I got to bring it. There's And, and it's funny because... Fieldy, the bass player, every once in a while, he'll go, man, I'm taking tonight off. And that means I'm not going to headbang. I'm just going to stand there and play bass. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And it never happens. Not one time do we ever take, quote, the night off, uh, which means we're going to, you know, I'm not going to hit as hard. I'm just going to go to the motions. Once you hit that deck and, and the lights drop and the curtain drops and you feel that energy from the crowd, it just you just become this other thing. Like no kidding. Uh, but of course we huddles me think we all have our individual warm ups. John, Jonathan has a really he's proud of that guy because he's really. I mean, let's face it: your singer goes down, the band goes down. You know? Yeah. Uh, and he's really great about <clears throat> sticking to his um, warm ups. He does like twenty to thirty minutes of these brutal, intense vocal warm-ups and man that guy throws down every night i mean there's nothing uh he's had colds he's had the flu and, and he still brings it so of course drumming's very physical so i have a very strict stretch routine that i do um it's at least 20 or 30 minutes before i hit the deck of <clears throat> laying on a floor a flat surface mm-hmm. on a towel and doing many stretches um pretty much from my toes to my head uh getting everything warmed up the battle that's about to happen you know yeah. um, there's uh, like I said certain drummers kick back and that's I, that's awesome I mean I, I don't have that gig uh-huh. <laughs> I, I have a very vigorous gig so I do about 10 to 15 minutes of um, you know rudiments on a pad um, I have a buddy rich drum pad that I love from Big Birth yeah. that um, I'll just whip it out and do everything that I learned in high school from flams to flam taps to rudiments to I have a little pocket metronome i'll put it on and start very slow and speed it up and just to kind of let your hands know something's going on you can't just put objects in your in your hands and, and start swinging you know so you're gonna hurt yourself when you get older <laughs> yeah yeah and, it, and and one thing too i saw recently that you've been wearing these boots for every show for how long <laughs> yeah people will uh, trip out on that i think terry buzio and a couple other people are the only ones on the planet that would ever think about wearing Doc Martens uh, live, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it, and I'll be honest, I kind of, I, I kind of was looking for a new avenue when I was going to Musicians Institute back in the day, and uh, 
you know, some people, drummers play with one bare foot and one Nike, and they'll play with <laughs> one in socks, and they'll play with bare feet. Play. So I saw this Terry Bozio video when I was an MI student, and he had these boots on, and I'm like, man, what's that feel like? So I had a pair of Doc Martens, I put them on, and I did a gig with my then original band, and I was like, they actually feel pretty good. They give me this extra kind of power because they're so heavy. And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, I just got very used to it. When I got the J.K. Lee gig, uh, the Ozzy Osbourne guitar player in 94, I started doing that, and my drum tech's like, what are you doing? That, that hurts? And I'm like, no, it actually feels great. And to this day, I wear Doc Martens on stage. That's just, it, it, I forgot him one time on the last corn tour, and it was the worst gig of the tour. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if it's a psychosomatic thing or if it's in my, you know, mental Probably. thing. Like, I don't have my docs on. I'm going to suck. Yeah, I don't know, but it, it really affected me. And even the sound guy goes, you weren't on your game tonight. What happened? He's this German guy. Like, you weren't on your game. What happened? And I'm like, shut up, man. I forgot my doc. <laughs> So there's a lot to this thing with the boots. I mean, it, I don't know if they're getting worn out or anything. Is it kind of a superstitious thing too? Like you know, some athletes will get them wear the same this or that jock strap or whatever it might be. It's, it's, uh, you know, Doc Martens have been so. I have twelve endorsements to look after. It's like I, drummers are always the worst. With so much gear and so much you know, so much so many different things going on. Yeah. Um, somebody was nice enough about five six years ago in Europe. Doc Martin branch over there, and they actually started giving me docs. So I have about probably seven or eight brand new pair in my house um, in Nashville, and I use the same doc that I've had for probably the last ten years, and I've had them resold because they just feel so great and they're completely broke in, and that's just what I like, you know. Yeah, I, I understand. So, I got to tell you, Ray, there's this video. Before I forget to mention this, on YouTube, I think it's called Ray Luzier Solo and Corn Medley with, with Great Sound. It's an excellent title. <laughs> and and I, I'm sure I've watched it, I can't tell you how many times, because you're soloing over this incredible corn music, incredible to me, incredible with a K in the middle. Uh, there you go. And, uh, and it's just rocking what you do in this particular video. Now, when you do right. something like that, do you kind of orchestrate that beforehand? Do you kind of plan it out? Are you kind of soloing, improvising when you do something like that live in a in a music store or whatever it is? I, I remember that one you're talking about specifically. There's a ton of stuff on YouTube now, on me now. It's funny, I just put my name in the other day just to see what would come up, and I'm surprised how many good and bad things came out. No. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Because, you know, everyone's got a phone and everyone can post these days. So it's it's completely, you know, uh, I'm not hiding anything, but there's some performances you wish were just that moment in time and they go away and you can do it better the next time. But thanks to the lovely technology we live in, uh, technical world, that all that stuff can go up instantaneously, you know. Um, but that particular one you're talking about, I just finished a Sabian, which is my uh, similar endorsement. Just a um, a um, tour called the APX um, Clinic Tour. It was um, uh -huh. myself, Chris Penny, and um, Seven Antonopoulos, and we were basically promoting a symbol uh, new product that they had out. So right at the end, I did some clinics myself, and um, that was in Seminole Music, Florida. And I'm, you know, I'm not on the original Corn recordings, obviously. Um, um, they were, they've been around for 24 years now, but 
we play those songs live, so I wanted to kind of pay homage to what I do to those songs. And obviously, it's a drum clinic, so some people say I overplay on them, but that's the, that's the purpose. Like I'm kind of ha- just having fun with it. I'm not playing. I'm not trying to play like a record. I'm not trying to play super stiff. I'm just having fun with it because it's a bunch of drummers watching you. So yeah. um, I kind of improvise a little bit and do a solo and whatever. So um, I do the same thing. In, uh, I have a side band called KXM, and I do. Yeah. I run those tracks a lot for clinics, and I do the same thing there. Um, there's a Pearl Drums Europe just put out three new videos for me on their channel, um, and it's the same thing. Like I'm improvising at the end just to show a little bit of just have fun, basically, you know. Yeah, and when you get started with with some of these uh, dynamic and these kind of signature songs from Corn, like Blind, I mean that's a, that's all drums at the beginning. That's all cymbal, really. <laughs> but it's yeah. all you. What what is that like? Especially you go live or even one of these clinics. I mean, what is that like? Because everyone, oh, they recognize that 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 straight, you know, cymbal line. Yeah, it, it's such a signature part, and it, it's one of those things where um, you know I'll never forget we did Ozfest in Mexico City in 08. It was one of the first gigs that I ever had done. And uh, I'll never forget doing that because there was probably 50,000, 60,000 people there. And at that time, I would do the intro and the guys would just walk out at their leisure. Well, it took them about four minutes to walk out. So I thought my right hand was going to fall off (laughs) (laughs) doing that so much. But, uh, Sorry, there's an ambulance coming by, and I can't get away from them because I'm walking down the street. <laughs> uh, well, it is what the show must go on. This is showbiz, my friend. Let's That's hope right. there's no uh, no big emergencies in Lincoln, Nebraska today. I hope. Yeah, I know, right? But uh, so anyway, but yeah, that that's such a signature thing, and, and it's um, um, hey, look, you know, it's it, if it wasn't for the five original founding members, um, I wouldn't be here, you know, to to play those great old songs right. and. Um, and I'm really proud of the new stuff. I'm, this is my fourth studio record now that I'm on with the band, and I've done some movie soundtrack stuff. And obviously, I love playing the stuff that I recorded live. But there's so, they have Corn has so many number one hits that um, they're the only band. I don't know if it's a fun fact for for your listeners. Corn's uh, the only band that got actually got retired from TRL MTV. I don't know if you. Oh remember really? That. Yeah, I remember TRL. Sure. Yeah, well, well, Freak on a Leash, that their giant hit, um, actually they had to retire it because it kept getting requested so many times that they had to move the spot. To, they had to give it to some other band eventually because it just wouldn't go away. So <laughs> it, 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 how crazy is that? I mean, they actually had to call them and say, look, you got voted again this week, but we got to give another band a shot. So they're like, all right, fine, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I... So, uh, yeah, I love playing those giant hits. It's, it's really amazing, and Corn's such a powerful band. And um, the, the fans are everything, obviously, because if it wasn't for them, we couldn't keep doing what we love to do and, and play. So it's it's big big shout-out to all the fans out there that keep coming to our shows. I mean, there's a girl in Germany that we just played to. That This was her 87th show. Wow. And it's like... I mean, if, if John Bonham came back from the dead, I don't think I'd go to see Zeppelin five times. You know, that's just <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, no so. kidding. And, and I just love the energy. I love the sound. You mentioned your sound guy. You, we talked a little bit about that before. Your sound guy from Germany. But you guys have this energy and sound that just gets an audience riled up, for lack of a better term. And and yeah. I I just love it. I I saw you guys. 
I saw you guys get on stage with Slipknot in London, and you guys played Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, of all things. How in the world did that come about? Do you remember that? You were at that show? No, I wasn't at the show. I saw a video. There's a there's a whole... Oh, man. I was like, I was like, wow, you saw a special show, because that was the uh, special night right there. Um, well, <laughs> Slipknot, Slipknot have been friends of ours for a long time, and they've known Corn before I got in the band, uh, obviously, but... Um, they have something in common. Ross Robinson produced the first two corn records and the first two Slipknot. So um, they have all these, you know, it, and they, they they actually got the, the term new metal back in the day, which they're, again, they're Slipknot. They do what they do. And yeah. But anyway, on a tour like that, sometimes it's cool to have fun. Uh, Corey's, if anyone knows Corey Taylor, the singer, he's just a ham and a half. He's always cracking jokes and yeah. comes over and sings Kiss songs to me because he knows I'm a Kiss freak from way back. And he's just, a really funny guy and just a great human. And uh, Fieldy, our bass player, said, "Man, we're getting towards the end of the tour. We need to we need to play something together. You know, like, it's just too cool. You know, the, the Slipknot Corn thing." And yeah, and and neither one of us wanted to do our respective bands. We wanted to do something that, that really freaked the fans out. Like that they would like, "What do you mean they're doing that?" So Fieldy mm-hmm. brought it up. He goes, "What about Sabotage from the Beastie Boys?" And Corey goes, "I love it. <laughs> great song." And, uh, yeah, so we just worked it up in uh, in the backstage. I had a little uh, V kit, and uh, we worked up the tune. And, <clears throat> and John's like, "I'll do this, and you do this, Corey." And uh, and it, it just come out really good. You can watch it on YouTube. I yeah, that's that's where I found it. That's it's a great video and great energy, right. and and then two amazing bands with tons of energy. It's almost like an explosion on stage. I, <laughs> I watched the I watched it on there, but. Yeah. And I want to get back to some corn stuff in a minute. And now, here's a little segue. My grandfather grew up in Lincoln on a on a big farm, and I understand you grew up not in Lincoln, but in maybe Pennsylvania on on a farm yourself, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, outside of Pittsburgh on a, on 118 acres. Wow. And, uh, and it's really strange. No one of my family's in music. No one's. Uh, they they've always played music. You know, my mother and father always played uh, Chuck Berry, Beatles, Elvis Zeppelin. Growing up and the radio was always on. I just tap along to everything, and uh, but we did farm life. The non-farmers out there, you can't explain what what goes on in a farmer's life. I mean, you're 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 bailing a hay field before you go to school. <laughs> you know, you're, you're there's no such thing as like, oh, the work's done, and I'm gonna go kick it and watch TV and play video games. And there's no such thing in a farmer's life. You're you're working from morning to night, and so growing up, it was a very cool disciplinary thing. Um, my allergies got really bad in my teens, and so bad that my eyes would swell shut and my throat would close up. And my mom would go, just go to your room. Well, my drums were in my room. Yeah. <laughs> so the more I, my allergies, I, I honestly, God, I, I think if it wasn't for my allergies, I mean, I'm sure I would have been a player, but I don't know if I'd have practiced for so many hours uh, as much as I did if it hadn't been for my allergies because that was my salvation. I'd go up there and my sister would get mad at me. She thought I was getting out of farm walk, but <laughs> <laughs> that was that was just the reality. Like, I'd go up there and just play the covers and play to every record possible and steal her records and play to them. And, and that's how I was self-taught for a very long time. Yeah. When I moved to uh, junior high, high school, I would just start, um, you know, that's how I learned how jazz band that's how i learned how to do uh you know what a quarter note was i, I got into marching symphonic mm-hmm. uh, you know 
picking up a timpani mallet and waiting 32 bars for that timpani part to come in, you know, um, putting on a marching snare, all that stuff, you know. And I had little rock bands in the meantime, you know, mm-hmm. um, I would start. And uh, eventually my guitar player that lived in Pittsburgh with me said, we need to check out the school called Musicians Institute in Hollywood. You know, um, Paul Gilbert, who lives 10 minutes from us in Pennsylvania, went out to L.A. and, and was the, had a lot of success right away out there. And he's like, we need to go out like Paul did. And, and, and I'm like, I don't know jazz or Latin or anything. I just know how to play what I play. And, uh, lo and behold, we passed the test and got in. And uh, two months after graduation, I moved to uh, 2,600 miles away to Hollywood. Wow, wow. And, and this, yep. this amazing story as a kid, I mean, this farm life, you must have gotten some work ethic there, sounds like, plus this maybe blessing in disguise having the allergies got you practicing <laughs> that much more. Yeah, and, totally. And it's, it's a whole different thing. When, and I also was, I had uh, a very big church upbringing. My parents were like, you know, when I did uh, an activity of ice skating, bowling, anything, it was always through the church youth group. And my parents aren't, you know, super huge Christians, but they do believe, and they they put me and my sister through church, and there's a lot of disciplinary things that happen there, I believe, with the farm life, and, and it, it, so it carries on through your whole life, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and and as you talk about all these factors that feed into Ray becoming now adult, successful musician Ray, which is a life that a lot of people dream about, I dreamed about it, uh, I didn't necessarily do all the things maybe I could have, should have, would have. But even if you had, sometimes it's tough for people to get to that place. Did you, sure. for yourself personally, did you feel any sort of like trajectory pulling you forward in music? I mean, you told yourself you committed. You told me here you committed to this thing. At what point did you make that commitment in this trajectory that you had? It was it was very early, man. Like I knew before I moved to Hollywood that I was going to do this the rest of my life. You know, and that's a pretty scary thing because how many people do you know will take a community college, you know, or, or general classes after high school because they have no idea what they want to be or what they want to do. I have a ton of friends like that. You mm-hmm. know, it's just they take a general, ah, maybe I'll get into computers and I'm kind of good at construction. I guess maybe I'll go that route or there's a lot of people who just don't know and that's okay. You know, sometimes it takes till you're 30 to find out what you want to do or what you're good at. Um, I just knew it had such a hard grip on me that this, there's nothing else was going to do and my parents knew that. And there's, parents, you know, no, go ahead. What about your parents? No, no. My mom was a uh, principal and a teacher, so she was very big on education. She's like, I don't care if you go to Mars, you're going to go to some kind of college, you know, or a school. Well, we found the 24-hour music school. I didn't want to take English and history again. I wanted to take, I wanted to learn the history of drums, and that's why I went to MI. You know. Um, yeah. And but it was only a year trade program. That's all I took was one year, and I was I was out. But um, uh, but yeah, good. Yeah, no, very very immersive kind of situation. And th- there's something to be said, I think, for for making that kind of commitment, especially to something artistic, because that can be a tough road. I mean, every artist I've known from. Uh, you know, musicians to actors, all these different things. There's some dark times. I mean, I, how did you deal with dark times, or did you have dark times? I should ask first. Oh, there was there were plenty, plenty. There was many times I called my mom on the phone, crying my eyes out, like, going, "I'm coming home." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just the way. That's reality. I mean, the music business is very hard. It's not. 
I mean, it, there's many times where <clears throat> it's a weird thing because you can hone in and you, you practice to be, you go into medicine and you're knowledgeable about certain medicines. You keep getting educated and you take four, six, eight years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you really stick to it and you're dedicated. You're probably going to get a job somewhere, even if you have to relocate. You're, yeah. If you're really good at it and you come highly recommended and you're referred and you're, you know, you're got your crap together. You're probably going to get a job. It's not like that in the music business. You can be what you think is one of the top musicians of the world, and it doesn't really matter, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. you're, you're not saying your talents won't get recognized because they do. I mean, that's what, look at the biggest shows on TV these days The Voice, America's Got Talent, all, you know, that's, there's so many of these people that are in, in their garages in, you know, Iowa going, how can I ever get discovered? And then these TV shows are, are doing that to a lot of people these days and, and bringing a lot of happiness to these people that wouldn't normally ever get a chance. So I thought by moving to LA, Hollywood, boom, I'm going to get seen. I'm going to play a club and blow someone away so bad that they're going to be begging to get me in their band. And that just wasn't the case. You know, you, <laughs> I was, you know, had a lot of failed original bands, like would get something and the carrots dangling right in front of your face and it's almost there. And then you get promised a record deal. And then, I've gotten signed a couple times in original bands and they'll pull the rug out from you and go, ah, eh, we don't really believe it. We thought we believed in you, but we don't now. Oh and you're my like, goodness. Huh? And you, I just, I can't even pay my phone bill right now. And you're telling me that we were going to have enough money to live off of. And now you're saying we're not even signed anymore. So there's so many ups and wow. downs. Coasters. I mean, <laughs> it, it's so frustrating at times where you're just like, you want to throw in the towel, you know, because you're like, wait, this, Ozzy Osbourne said it great when I first moved to LA, he's like, the music business sucks, he goes, but playing, never, never forget why you picked up your instrument and how it made Mm -hmm. you feel, because the music business will put out that fire in a heartbeat, Yeah, and it's true, I mean, there's been so many times where I've gotten so close to things where I'm just like, are you kidding me, like, how could you not see this, and then you're relying on someone else's opinion which is even more frustrating because how do they know? Yeah. I mean, how many bands do you know that got signed and went on to be these huge successes and they, and like five labels turned them down at first? Yeah. Because you know, they didn't see the vision or they didn't see the 10 years from now kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, I, that's why I was in like seven bands at a time in LA. Everyone's like, God, you're playing this club with this band, you're playing with this band. I'm like, yeah, I just, and to be honest, I was looking for the one that was the closest to that deal or closest to that next success because I've done, I did when I, in my early twenties, I did a couple bands where I was like, I stopped everything for this band only to find out that maybe the singer was afraid of success. So he'd write loony songs that weren't commercially appealing because he wanted to be independent and underground. Well, I want to pay my bills playing music. I don't want to be independent and starving. <laughs> yeah. So, now you're dealing with a four or five way marriage in a band. It's just, man, there's so many times that I just almost threw it foul. But I knew, I knew deep down that it was too much there. I knew that, that there was way too much passion in me and, and drive to just give up. Yeah. So, um, I started auditioning for national bands and yeah. I found that, Hey, I'm actually getting a paycheck and it's steady, you know? <laughs> and, uh, that was when Jakey Lee and the band Arcade who had Stephen Piercy from Rat in it, <clears throat> which eventually led to uh, David Lee Roth, which was a nice paycheck. That was 
some yeah. of the best money I've ever made. And Dave Lee Roth is a very unique individual to tolerate. Um, he's, uh, I don't know if you've heard stories, but... <laughs> <laughs> One or two. You have to be taught very good patience and tolerance uh, to be in a band like his, especially for over eight years, like I was. Um, but you, with, you know, it's just like, it's not a, never a normal job, but like any jobs, like I have friends that don't like the guy in the cubicle next to them, or they mm. have trouble getting along with some of the staff. And yeah. like that in the rock business, it's just a different level. You know, it's a whole different uh, dynamic. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, but you persevered. I mean, it, and a lot of people persevere in things. You've had, I don't know if we dare say the, the word luck, but you, luck is probably for a guy like you, you're calling your mom at times in tears. You, we don't want to necessarily say those sorts of things either, but you had a work ethic you stuck to. This isn't overnight kind of thing. This is years and even decades of hard work, perseverance, enduring these dark times. And and then you get and to it, go ahead. You're you're right because the word luck does come into hand. I mean, and, and that whole thing of being in the right place at the right time, I still believe in that because I've had many friends and even even myself. I mean, look, it hadn't had Corn not heard the Army of Anyone record that I played on before them, I, there might be a different drummer in this chair right now. I mean, it's a band that big that sold 46 million records and has six Grammys and still has mass crowds coming to the shows, they're going to live on, whether it was me or some other guy. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So they happen to hear, we were managed, Army of Anyone and Corn were managed by the same managers. They heard that record and said, wow, who's this drummer? We really like him. And, I, and the manager told me that. And I was like, wow, I'm flattered to him. I said, thanks. Never, still never in a million years thinking I'd be in the band someday. And then when it came time for the auditions for Corn, my manager goes, hey, you know, Joey from Slipknot was filling in for Corn in 07 uh, when the original drummer quit. And uh, he said, hey, man, they're doing one last show with Joey, and then they're going to look for someone. He goes, Army of Anyone doesn't look like it's going to carry on too much longer. Why don't you go up for an audition? And I'm like, me? I don't have a tattoo. I don't have a uh, dreadlocks. I don't have it. He's like, the original drummer had spiky surfer hair. What are you talking about? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what my point is. I don't, you know, hadn't been for our manager me being in that place at the right time who knows where i'd be at right now you know there might be a whole different road i went down um yeah the same with david lee roth you know i played on a bunch of sessions in la and that's what led me to the david lee roth gig i did some kids record that happened to be writing with dave and dave liked my playing on that session and had to have been for that you know uh so there's a little bit of that involved i believe you know um but but you talk too about you talk too about your belief and manifestation. Um, is there anything more you want to elaborate on with that? Because people do different things, or they might you know affirmations, or just hey, I kind of believe in something. I mean, was there anything to yeah. that as far as like a real like ritual kind of thing you did? And I'm not you know as far as anyone listening, maybe trying to get in your head at least a little as far as your belief manifestation kind of approach. Just just to try to stay positive on everything because it's, it, let's face it, the world we live in right now where you don't know if someone's going to drive down the road into a bunch of people and kill innocent people and there's mm. a, that's a pretty wacky thing that we live in right now and yeah. it's, it's all directions I mean, you know, I'm walking in France uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were on tour in Europe 
and just thinking that like wow somebody some complete maniac could drive down the road right now and you know uh so to try to stay my point is trying to stay positive in such a wacky negative world you know um there's a lot of good out there and there still will always be good it's up to it's up to you to find the goodness out of things you know i chose a long time ago even though i was getting dropped from you know record deals and i was uh hard to, to make money and, and my parents helped me out so much through the years with paying bills and everything i still found a way to make a positive outlook on the business like someday i will have a gig someday i will uh be able to raise a family playing my drums and that was like a again that big oath that you take you know to say to yourself this will happen i just have to make it happen i don't know how it's going to but um trying to keep your head up when there's so much is against you and you have so much weighing against you and that's that's the reality of the music business because that's that's the way it is i mean um uh but that goes back to you how much do you want it how bad how passionate are you how much work do you want to put into it like i put i would play six hours a day and then go home and eat dinner and then play with my band till midnight i did that for years that's just you know uh, (laughs) the discipline of that but that had nothing to do with jumping on a tour bus and then dealing with other people's personalities especially rock stars because they're not normal (laughs) yeah so uh but again i honestly believe if you focus and you think hard enough about something and i and i get a lot of people come up to me they're frustrated they have they have people to take care of and relative and they have to do a regular job and I get it it's not it's, I'm, I, you know, I've been through everything you know um, yeah. Uh, yeah but there is such a thing I believe if you're if, no matter what you want to do it, it's if you really like deep down feel it and you know what's going to happen I, I believe it eventually will yeah feel it believe it see it I mean those are yep. all things that preceded. You, you kind of put yourself in that place, and there's something about the subconscious mind and this law of attraction, all whatever you want to call it, but there's something about garnering these feelings and attracting things. And it may take decades. It may take years of frustration. It may take all the th- many things and more that you've experienced. Uh, yeah. And it seems like everyone who gets somewhere... Uh, that might seem like, oh, this is a dream position. They've gone through this sort of th- set of things that you're describing too, and and you talked yeah. you talked too about coming from this farm in Pennsylvania to a place like L.A. Hollywood. What what did you think when you? I'm shifting gears a little here, but what did you think when you first get to a place like Hollywood from hundred plus acre farm? <laughs> oh, that that was the biggest smack upside the head of of reality because I didn't even go to downtown Pittsburgh much when I my first 18 years of the farm life I'd, I'd go to see like Motley Crue and Ozzy Kiss at the at the arena and that was like the big well we're going to the city you know that was like a 45 minute drive and and uh, that was a huge deal yeah just to show up you know so I didn't know what a neighbor was we didn't have a neighbor for a mile we had a mile dirt driveway and then the neighbor <laughs> started so I remember even as a child when my friends would come around my house or I'd go to their house. I'm like, wow, you can see your neighbors. Like, I can see what they're doing in their yard. Yeah. They're like, yeah, that's normal, Ray. You don't have neighbors because you're <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah. It, it, needless to say, moving into a, a 
a one bedroom apartment with a roommate and you have people above, below you and on the side, uh, <laughs> I didn't know what hit me, you know, um, it was, and I, in the first uh, month or so I didn't lock, I, we don't, you don't lock your doors on the farm cause everybody's got your back. They're looking to steal from you. Yeah. So, my roommate would come home and go, dude, you left the door unlocked again. I'm like, oh, sorry, I, I just, I'm not used to locking my door. And he's like, this is L.A., we're going to get robbed. <laughs> so, yeah, the reality of it just, and unfortunately, uh, there's when you move to a big city, especially L.A., where everyone's struggling, actors, actresses, models, musicians, there's a ton of entertainment out there. Yeah. And everybody wants to do what, you know what I mean, they're all, everyone's, stabbing each other in the back unfortunately and everyone's really trying to get to wherever they can to, to make whatever they think making it is you know to be successful yeah so yeah i come naive and gullible as hell off the farm and trusting everybody and i was even recommending gigs to people that i found out about that i knew i wanted but i knew they liked the band too and then to find out that they're and crap on me at the audition saying that i'm not a liable you know, reliable person and I'm not experienced. And oh. so all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I just, I got you that audition. Why would you say that about me? I'm thinking, Oh, I heard about this jaded thing. Cutthroat you know? LA um, stuff. Totally. And it, it, and then, so all of a sudden you have to kind of, I never changed who I was or where I came from, but I also had to put a little bit of a shell over me, protective shell, because if you don't, you get stepped on and you get walked on. So, uh, that was it took me years to like to not be a prick to people but just be a little bit harder not not so uh welcoming because they were like i said just after your back just turn around yeah um now fast forward 27 years later after i lived in la and uh you know bought a house in the valley the whole bit like uh i moved to nashville over four years ago with my kids because I have two little kids that I want to raise them in L.A. And my wife's from Florida. We wanted to kind of find a more central, located spot. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge music scene in Nashville. Sure. So we moved there down south, and it's now everyone's nice to me again. And everyone's neighbors are baking you pies, and they're <laughs> like, so, uh, you know, I'm getting used to that niceness again. And, and I even told some of the neighbors, like, forgive me mm-hmm. if I feel a little... If I come off a little harsh, 27 years in L.A. will really uh, scar you, you know. So. Yeah, and 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 I'm, I'm glad you brought up. I mean, you say a lot of great stuff, and uh, but I'm gonna grab onto. You mentioned your wife and your kids. When you're touring, musician on the road, what, what is that like on both ends of that spectrum? Uh, I mean, I think I, yeah. I, I saw you post something the other day about how you missed your boys. I myself have two boys, and. Uh, yep. But tell me about that, and from their side and yours, what what is that like? It's it's rough. I mean, I told my wife when we got together, I'm like, and she was a full time model at the time, and she was touring a lot, doing interviewing race car drivers to all, all kinds of stuff. I mean, she she kind of understood the touring life, and it takes a special someone. Your other half has to really understand what's what they're getting themselves into because it's not for everybody. I mean. There's, uh, um, you know, especially with someone like David Lee Roth, he, he never, I didn't have a, a wife or a kid at the time, so mm-hmm. none of us wanted to go home. We'd stay out for four months at a time. You know, <laughs> it, it was no big deal. I love life out of a suitcase. It was fine. But, 
I remember when we first got pregnant, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm almost 40. Maybe I won't be doing this in my 40s, you know, touring. And uh, the reality is, uh, you know, in the rock business, unfortunately, people aren't buying records like they used to. Um, with a band of Magnitude of Corn, you could stay home for two years back in the day and collect checks just from records. Yeah. Um, but thanks to all lovely Spotify's and Apple Music and all the uh, formats, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people who still buy vinyl and, and they, people like myself still geek out and buy CDs. But And I actually do pay for my records on iTunes because and, and, we work hard. I mean, it takes four and a half, six months to make a record and $12 to me really isn't anything to pay for all the work that an artist puts into a record, you know? Yeah. Um, buy records, kids. That's my big public announcement to everyone. Support your favorite bands because that's <laughs> They're doing it for you, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it was it, it was very hard to uh, to the first tour when I had my newborn. Uh, at the time was the hardest because I was just like, wow. I mean, it was thank God for Skype and yeah, FaceTime. No kidding. Um, but it's still hard because you know you're leaving your wife with the, with the child and and they be up all night and the no sleeping and the it gets really hard her mom moved out and helped us in california and she actually lives close by us in nashville now and helps out but it never gets easy that's for sure you know but uh there's nothing like your seven-year-old tagging on your pant leg as you're leaving as the car pulls up to bring you to the airport mm. and he's going daddy please don't leave there's that's like the worst thing ever uh but mm. he kind of gets like okay this is how we have a house this is how we you know, buy 10 acres of land by you going out and playing drums. <laughs> so yeah. It, you know, um, you just try to stay in much communication with them as you can. Yeah, yeah, that's there's a little bit of trade-off there. I, I saw Metallica one time, and I was right up by the stage in an arena, and then I see these kids come out, and I'm like, what are these little kids doing in the, you know, the place where the band comes out? And I think yeah. it might have been their kids standing there. They had these noise-reducing sure headphones, of course, because they're a big, loud band, too. And, uh, and and I think a couple of the wives, <laughs> and they didn't stay for the whole show. They stood there, watched a few songs, and then walked back down the little the little corridor yep. there. But and that's uh, another thing too. We, we I try to bring them out when I can, and I just flew my wife to Vegas. We did uh, three Follow the Leader twentieth uh, anniversary shows with Corn, and yeah, she doesn't really get get to wait get away from the kids. So the mother in law took them for the weekend, and I got to. Fly out to Vegas. That was great. We need, definitely needed some, you know, uh, alone time because we never, uh, even when I'm home, it's, uh, it's just still gonna go with the kids, you know. So, uh, yeah. cool. Yeah, you just trying to make the best of it. It never gets easy, though, that's for sure. Unless you're like right now, unfortunately, Jonathan lost his wife uh, in the past few months, and yeah. his kids are out with us right now. He's got 11 and a 13 year old, and they got the nanny out here when they're she's tutoring them on the road and. It's a different lifestyle, you know. Yeah. Um, they're not going to come out on every tour, but John felt that they are really, um, they need him right now, and he didn't want to leave them on this tour. So, mm. uh, sweet kid, though. He, he got some amazing kids. Yeah, my sincere condolences for that. That's that's unfortunate. I think, yeah. I, uh, very unfortunate. Yeah, and I, I commend him for, for continuing to do his very, very best with that and, and continue to pursue this passion with the music and go on tour, but keep these kids taken care of. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's got to be a tough, tough road a little bit. I, uh, yeah. As we talk about your, when you're coming up too, 
you mentioned a little bit ago, you going to see bands like Kiss and, and so forth. Any real specific musical influences coming up for you, or, or drummers in particular? Yeah, when I started, you know, like I said on the farm, no one really told me what to listen to. Kiss was on the cover of everything at that time, mm. and so I really gravitated towards them. They were weird. They wore makeup, and I played along with so many Kiss records, you know, so my arms fell off. And uh, my uncle was the one that started giving me Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Rush, and said, "You need to start listening to some other things." And that's what really started broadening. That's how I discovered Neil Peart. Uh, he gave me a Zappa record with Terry Bozio on it. I'm like, wow, these are my two favorite new drummers right now. So yeah. those two, for sure, early on, and even to this day, were so influential and inspiring. Um, and but, but as simple as Phil Rudd, like I love, I used to love playing ACDC records just because it was, he has a swing feel about him. Um, yeah. That I just, I'm such a rock metalhead that um, I always knew when I put on Back in Black, and then moving pictures, the Rush record, the next one, I'm like, wow, this is a lot harder to play. You know, even at a young age, you're like, you start realizing the progressive drummers compared to um, straight ahead drummers. And uh, the thing is, I'm a fan of anybody that moves me. You mm-hmm. know, I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how many licks you can play. It's all that stuff. I'll, I watch YouTube sometimes. And there's just some amazing, amazing drummers out there, but they don't move me. They don't. I don't feel anything from them, you yeah, know, a lot of them. Yeah. And I'd rather, if you can play one groove and make me dance or make me move my head, you, you won me over. It's not going to take 30 second notes at 220 on a metronome to impress me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's, and it's funny that some of the influences you mentioned there, music and drumming in particular is very theatrical. And I noticed you're very, theatrical drummer i see these influences you do a lot of stick spinning a lot of stuff a lot of these glam rock drummers did back in the day too and uh and you're kind of a your own unique animal in my opinion at this point i think a lot of people would agree who know drums in particular where did this stick spinning thing start for you it started in marching corps because we had a pretty strict guy right out of the military that was like you know you guys will get here an hour before the band you'll leave an hour after kind of thing and we hated him at the time because of how much work he made us do. But I look back and go, wow, that guy was disciplined us. And he's the one that taught me how to tighten up my playing and play clean and stop the sloppiness. And and it, it started way back then, you know. Um, and so my whole thing was I hate watching. If you're playing in a heavy band and you're, you have that weight for the bus look on your face, when I come see you live, I want to leave. I don't want to watch you. You know, it's like I've. I'm there to see a live band entertain me. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I try not to do too much. I don't want to ham it up. I, like some of those guys go over the top and it, I don't feel that's necessary, but I just, and even David Lee Roth, when I got the gig, he's like, he goes, people are paying money to see you too. Give them a show. He goes, yeah. it's okay to be visual. And, and that really hit me hard. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. We're on stage too. We're not just a drummer in the back. So, um, uh, I just feel what I play. So yeah. Whatever you see, I'm not acting. I'm I'm actually feeling what I'm playing. So <laughs> it's it's you know um, there's no exaggeration for it. If I'm playing a jazz gig, I'm not going to sit there and you know <laughs> bang bang my head and twirl my sticks. But that'd be if cool you though. Corner corner kick down or any of my bands. It, it's it's I'm just feeling it. You know. So I, when I I want. 
I picture if I was in the audience right now, what would I want that guy to be doing? And that's what, exactly what I do. You know, I've been to so many shows where I'm just, I'm, I'm bored watching the band. I'm like, I could have stayed home listening to the record. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you get more feeling listening to the record. And I love that you point that out so much about the feeling. Whatever you're doing, whether you're trying to start a business, be a rock musician, be an actor, whatever the case might be, there's got to be a passion and a feeling behind it for the rest of the world to really be able to embrace it as well. And and another thing with the stick spinning, I notice you throw sticks in the air a lot. I mean, do you ever drop a stick? Does it ever go flying off stage or... Oh yeah, <laughs> some some fan actually started a Facebook page. It's called the Raining Sticks of Ray Luzier because <laughs> or no, the Flying Sticks of Ray Luzier because they're flying all through the year. Yeah, um, you know, it, yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, especially in the, you're in the battlefield. It, it's not a uh, you never know what's going to happen. And sometimes the light will go out at the wrong time. I'll look up and there's nothing but darkness. So you know, I'll smack myself in the forehead or it's uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, Sacramento last year, I actually hit myself in the eye so hard that I uh, thought I lost my eyeball. So it, it gets pretty intense up oh, there. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, kind of... then, you know, it all comes back to the groove. You have to be grooving. And, and like, if you close your eyes and listen to me, it sh- you should be feeling what I'm playing. Not, not like you shouldn't have to watch me to, to feel what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it all, it all comes down to the groove first and foremost. If anything disrupts that, then obviously I'd back it down. You know, if anything, any kind of visual aspect uh, disrupts the groove, then that that shouldn't be happening, you know. Yeah, and I've noticed you have a whole bunch of extra sticks uh, for these Murphy's Law occasions where they might fly a little too far one way or the other or whatever else might happen. I start out with about 22 pair, and then um, my my average breakage is probably 10 to 15 sticks a show, and then uh, that's a corn show. Um, Jonathan Davis, this tour, um, I maybe break three sticks, maybe four, just because it's not a, not as, in, as intense. And uh, but yeah, it's um, <laughs> that know. blows my mind. Ten to fifteen sticks a show are getting busted while you're. I mean, I see the intensity with which you play, so I could see where <laughs> where that might happen, my friend. But my yeah, goodness gracious, I've, I've tried everything. I've tried the graphite sticks. I've tried the aluminum. I've tried. Uh, you know, because my friends are like, you break so many sticks, why don't you try? But I, I tried all those materials, and at the end of the day, the old school wooden stick it feels the best, and it just it performs the best. You know, I can't. I mean, uh, Lars Ulrich to uh, Tommy Lee, uh, I think even Matt Sorum, a couple of those people use those aluminum sticks. And I just, wow, I can't do it. And you don't feel bad going through all these trees, huh? <laughs> we won't go well, there. I do. I, at, the end of, at the end of a tour, I'll be like, man, I do feel bad for the trees. But again, <laughs> like, you know, uh, plant some more. No. <laughs> yeah. The, the, another couple things. that Now, I notice you, these are just kind of odds and ends here. We'll wrap up here. The there's a thing with drummers where there's kind of a height thing sometimes where some of the, stereotypically, some of the best drummers are kind of maybe not as tall we'll say uh i noticed you're pretty tall guy what are you six no no i'm five uh ten and a half almost five eleven oh okay well we'll give you five eleven closer to my six that i said anyways but so i mean it's not like you're uh you know a guy like uh, lebron james which would be funny to watch him play drums by the way but (laughs) uh is there anything to all that i mean i play drums myself but and I'm six, like six three, and you guy like Danny Carey, he's a pretty tall guy from a band called Tool. For those who don't know, 
but yep. you got a guy like Smitty, who we love, not yeah, <laughs> and, and others. Is there anything to that? It's you know, it's, and that's it really high. If you if you see my kit, um, my drum tech hates it because he's a lot shorter than me, and his feet barely barely reach the pedals. <laughs> but, uh, I, I have this thing where I. I honestly believe that, you know, I've been playing a very a long time and, and to have longevity and knock on wood, knock on everything. I've never had a hand problem. And I believe that a lot of it has to do with posture and how you play. And so I think that's why I sit so high as I do. And, um, I just prefer to be on top of the drums. A lot of people like to sit on telephone books and they're barely, their knees are in the air and, and they're, but that's, that's relaxing for them. I can't play like that. You know, um, um, so to me, it's a, it's a, I don't know if the height thing has anything to do with it. I just know how I sit on the kit yeah. and it's, it's, I have to sit high. Um, what bums me out if I sit in on someone's jam or like I did that Bonzo bash in LA, I've done it a couple years now. Um, um, and you have to play how John Bonham played. So you barely, you can raise a couple things here or there, but not really. And wow, that's a big wake up reality check for me. And sometimes I like playing that way because it, pushes you you know to play a different way but a whole show i have to sit high and, and kind of on on top of the drum and, yeah and i appreciate you saying that too because it's it's the person and you you make the thing work for what you are you can't help that you're five ten and a half five eleven or yeah. if you were six nine or you were four 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 twelve no that'd be five feet right anyway uh yeah. and and you talk about uh, forcing yourself kind of out of your comfort zone a second ago, I noticed you've been playing real kind of ambidextrous, which is left-handed, right-handed more. Uh, is that I mean, that's obviously a conscious effort you've made, isn't it? You kind of play. Well, you know, I started when I first started playing drums ever. When I first got my kit, I sat down and I saw on there was a show showing my age right now called Solid Gold back in the day. Do you hmm. remember that show? No, I'm not quite uh, your yeah. age range, but I'm getting there. <laughs> no, I don't yeah, remember it so though. There was just, it was just like a, a show where they had all kinds of live bands from funk, disco, pop, rock, whoever. Yeah. So you'd have like Michael Jackson on one week, you'd have Kiss on the next, you'd have, you know. And I saw the Beach Boys on there, and the drummer was playing left hand lead, and his hi hats were real far from the snare, like they were like two feet away. And he had this very wow. obvious open hand thing. And I looked at my hands and went up to my kit and went, hmm, because that's how you play. I'm going to try that. And so I actually started playing left-hand lead, which I'm big-time right-handed. And uh, and then I did that for a couple years. And my friend came over, and he's like, you're playing wrong. You're supposed to cross over. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel real comfortable to me, you know. And But I played a right-handed kit. Everything else was right-handed, you know. And um, Yeah, yeah. So that, that started clear back then. And then I've always, if I'm doing more intricate stuff, I'm a lot of ghost notes, a lot of, you know, I call it cooking soup, like the <laughs> intricate, funky kind of beat. I always cross over because I have more control. But the open bashing stuff, to me, you have so much more room and space when you're playing open-handed. There's nothing hindering you at all. Um, now, granted, your snare is still consistent when you open up like that. Because mm. at the end of the day, you have to sound super consistent. And uh, so if it doesn't affect that, why not? You know, if it doesn't affect the sound. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that because a fan the other day in the meet and greet just told me that. He's like, I've noticed in the John Davis show, you're playing more uh, right hand on the hi-hat than left in corn. And I go, 
it's weird you say that because it's true, but there's a lot more intricate stuff with the Jonathan Davis band and not as much bashing, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, because you go back and forth in the middle of song. We're talking, some some folks might say, oh, this is drum nerd stuff. I'm going to tune out, but don't tune out. Uh, we're almost <laughs> done in any case. But it, I just love that you, because there's some stuff that's just unique Ray Luzier stuff that there might be a couple other guys do their own version of this or that, but the stick spinning, throwing the sticks, doing the <laughs> the ambidextrous thing, it's just stuff that, that stands out and it, it tells people this guy's got a work ethic, this guy cares about the music, this guy's got some style and some real taste to all of it, and you're just a performer, a consummate performer, and I think that that uh, obviously shines through with your level of success and, and these, these folks you've been able to work with. And a last quick Bye. question... Go, no, go ahead, my friend. No, I said I appreciate you uh, saying all your knowledge of that. To me, it, it all comes down to to being yourself and being an individual. It's okay to you know take your take who you look up to, and I did it. You know, I ripped off a lot of my favorite drummers for many years, but you have to eventually mold into what your style is. You know, and I have this China symbol that's in the middle of my kit. That everyone calls it the North Star, and that's like a lot of people say when they see that. China out there, they know that I'm playing because that's a, a signature thing. Yeah, I just yeah. developed that years ago, and it's just one of many things that becomes your own. Uh, and I always tell people, don't get discouraged. You, you will find your niche. It might take decades, but you're going to find be be the best at your style. Don't don't just rip off other people because you think they're the best out there or one of the best or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You gotta you've got to find your voice, so to speak, and and just yeah. amplify that. And I've noticed some of some of the greatest in history, some of their greatest work, whether it's art, science, whatever it might be, music, have done some of their greatest work in their 70s, 80s, and beyond at times. You talk about decades. So we can't be discouraged, and that's why, you know, as we compare this to everyone else, we're not all, This is the whole audience isn't just drummers, but find your voice, find your passion, and just work, 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 believe. And that's, and we talk about your practice regimen. I mean, what, what kind of practice, your guy that someone might look at and say, well, that guy doesn't have to practice ever again. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I need plenty. Trust me. Um, uh, this band I'm playing with right now, that's Jonathan Davis and the ministry, we're, we're, those guys are cats. I mean, they can play a jazz gig, a Latin gig, a salsa uh, reggae anything these these two guitar players brian allen and chris nix can do everything and so it's it's kicking my butt big time to like because sometimes in the middle of a show they'll bust new into a salsa jam i gotta be right there with them so you're you're always practicing always you never get you know that's the great thing about being a musician is you never really reach that plateau and if you do you should probably move on to something else because it's going to get boring you know um it, it to me it's I'm always I don't practice enough because like when I said when I'm home I glue myself to my kids I'm big time dad uh, dad mode when I go home so I I have a studio with three giant drum kits in it and it figures wow. took me all this time to work to be able to get a, a room like that and a recording studio in my own house to, only to find out that I'm I'm playing ball with my boys more than I'm uh, way more than I'm playing drums <laughs> so, yeah well, that's that's uh, that's gonna matter most. At the end of the day, regardless. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So, but it's, it, uh, but I, but I do practice, and, and a good practice for me is doing things like my side band. Like I, it, it allows me to be diverse. And because um, your listeners out there, check out a band called KXM. Um, you can, we have a lot of great videos on YouTube. That that really broadens my horizons. That that to me is practicing. You know, playing with other musicians and 
uh, getting a feel for someone else's visions, you know? Yeah, and you just can't get complacent. No matter what you're doing, like we say, building a business, you know, cutting hair, whatever it is, you keep your chops up. You you might have developed a chop back in the '80s, but you gotta you gotta keep it up now, or else it, these things—it's just the nature of life. Things go away yep. if you don't if you don't keep them sharp. So, and these are just kind of facts of success. Now, there's yep. your, your wife has this movement uh, called Rebels for a Change. I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but yeah, absolutely. Please yeah, tell me tell me about that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. She's an amazing uh, human that that has dealt with. Um, addiction in their family and you know there's all there's programs like Al-Anon that deal with um, families that have addicts in their families but they're only Al-Anon only does if, if you're an alcoholic but what about all the mental cases and the suicide uh, attempts and mm-hmm. so my wife is starting started this nonprofit called Rebel for a Change you can go to rebelforachange.com and she also has an Instagram uh, page and Twitter and Facebook but what she's doing it she's come it's now finally starting to take effect. Um, her whole thing is bringing all these people together that feel that they, you know, they have ha- maybe they have an addict in the family, and everyone's always worried about Johnny the addict. Well, what about all the family members suffering with Johnny? You know, um, so her whole thing is to add comfort and support for these family members. And she's God, she's reached so many people, hundreds so far, just just on media um, without even really announcing, announcing that's it. Yeah. Bringing people together and they're speaking with each one another, comforting each other, uh, sharing stories, you know, all kinds of things like that. And it, it's really an amazing thing. Um, uh, her ultimate goal is to someday have a retreat where they can actually put, she can put these families up to, to almost like a rehab uh, for the families. And, wow. Um, so yeah, check it out, everybody. It's, it's, uh, she has several podcasts telling all the information about it uh, on her site. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, we'd love to have her on our podcast here and talk more about that because that's a it's a growing situation in our world, this, this whole thing, addictions, and how it not just affects the addicted person, but the, the yeah. people around them, the people who love them, family, friends, and whatever it might be. So I'd love that she's doing that. I love that you're supporting her too. Uh, she would love to talk to you about it. She loves uh, uh, spreading the word, you know. Yeah, we can do it just like this, a little phone interview. And, yeah, anything else you want to touch on here, Ray? I'm gonna, I don't want to keep you from your gig and everyone's sitting there waiting. <laughs> no, it's all good. They're just they're about ready to start sound check, and uh, I'm, I'm all good. It was uh, good talking to you and very uh, intelligent stuff you were asking, so I appreciate that. Yeah. No, just, just, you know, uh, the, the summation is be good to one another. And if you want something, strive after it, be passionate. And uh, don't take no from anyone because they're gonna. A lot of people out there are gonna tell you no. You can't. A lot of people told me I couldn't, and here I am. Yeah. So <laughs> Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska, playing in 2018. So uh, there's no ending in sight for me anywhere. So um, just gotta keep thinking positive and push on. You know. Do you think of your legacy at all as you? Uh, and this is my last, and I'll let you run. What, what's Ray Luzier's legacy? I mean, you're not at the end of your rope by any stretch of the imagination, I sure hope. And uh, what's no, the world going to say? You know, I just, if I can touch people with my music, if I can touch them with, you know, being positive and uh, being inspiring as a musician, and, and like like you were talking about before, just it, it 
the inspiration works in different ways. It's not just in the, no matter what you do. You're not just a musician. In fact, it, it, in anything you're doing in your life, you know. So if I could have that positive impact on someone or positive uh, reinforcement on anyone, if whether you're going into sports or be, to be a doctor or whatever you're doing, then that's you know not how I want to be remembered. But you know what I'm saying? Like uh, I want that that message on people to live. Yes. 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 Oh, I got caller. I'd call waiting coming on just as we're, that's my signal to say, Hey, we got to wrap this up. So we've got, we've got the Jonathan Davis black labyrinth tour going on right now through fall 2018. Are we going past the fall? There's already been talk of a European run. Uh, I just finished track on the new corn record. It'll be out probably next year sometime. Um, Yes. I don't know when. Um, and then Jonathan's, um, Jonathan Davis and the ministry. I keep saying that. Uh, we're probably going to do a, a spring tour of Europe. Keep going on. It's just a blast. And then I have a new, the third KXM record with George Lynch and Doug Pinnock will be out in, I think, January or February. So be checking that out. All right. Yeah. Get tickets. Enjoy some excellent music with world renowned musicians and uh, some, more, some of these more intimate venue situations as well, like we're doing in Lincoln today. All over the yep. country, and maybe sounds like maybe in Europe as well. Plus, corn coming out, so you're on the yeah, you're on the right path, man. Keep keep posting on my Instagram. My Instagram is Raylusier Corn K O R N. Um, Twitter is uh, Raylusier One, the number one, and uh, my Facebook is just Raylusier Official. And I have all my dates and happenings posted on there. People to keep up. Right, right, and Rebel for a Change also your wife's movement, and yes. of course us and Power One Hundred and One on Instagram and uh, our best to Jonathan, his family and our love to all of you. Be safe out there and uh, we'll do it. We'll do a sequel here one of these days. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Be safe. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.